grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All Saints Day is a day of joy because we consider the saints who are resting in heaven and the saints on earth who are now receiving the blessings of Christ. But for many, there's also sadness because we long to be with our loved ones who are now in heaven, and of course, we miss them dearly. I don't know about you, but it is hard not to be a bawling wreck after singing the hymn that we just sang. A good question to ask today is, what is a saint? After all, today is all saints. Simply put, saints are ones who are holy, that is, holy ones. Saints include those who are in heaven, the Christians who have died in the faith. But saints not only include them, but saints include Christians here on earth. That is, all who call upon the name of the Lord. Contrary to what some churches may teach, to be a saint does not, is not just limited to a small group of people who are now in heaven. What this means is that you yourself, despite your sinful past, can be considered a saint, a holy one, even now. After all, St. Paul, when he writes to the various churches, he addresses those Christians as the saints, the saints who are in Rome, the saints at Corinth, the saints in Philippi, and so on. But how is it that we could be considered holy? How is it that we, who have sinned in thought, word, and deed, can be called or considered by God as a saint? Have we not been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have we not been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have we not hurt someone by our words or deeds? Have we not even so subtly stolen or been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? If we are honest with ourselves, we have many sins to confess, more than we even know. King David wrote in Psalm 19, who can discern his errors? Acknowledging that we don't even know the extent of our own sins. He also wrote in Psalm 14, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That is who we are apart from the word of Christ, apart from him, our Savior. We also find ourselves in the same shoes as St. Paul, who once wrote, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And we are also reminded of last week's epistle. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified, that is, forgiven, in his sight. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of this means that on our own, we cannot make ourselves saints. As much as we may try to pacify God through good behavior, we cannot purify ourselves or make ourselves holy in his sight. We have soiled ourselves by committing sin. And not only that, but as we have heard from our opening hymn, and as we have learned from the baptismal rite, we have also inherited the sin of Adam. The sin that he has committed was passed on to his children and his children's children all the way down to us so that when we are born, we are not born innocent. As it is written in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We have been born in the image of fallen Adam and in his likeness, born as sinners and guilty of sin. Can we then call anyone a saint? The answer is yes, but how? Could it be through our goodness, our good intentions, our resolves to do that which is right, our desire to follow the commands of God? That is insufficient, for it is written in Isaiah, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Instead, our righteousness must come from outside of us. This holiness must come from outside of us. It must come from somebody else who was holy. It comes from our Savior, Jesus. King David, who acknowledged that everyone is a sinner, also wrote, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And St. Paul, who acknowledged that the evil that he does not want to do, he does, and the good that he wishes to do, he does not do, he said this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we heard in last week's epistle, we are justified again, that is forgiven, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So this righteousness that is required to obtain eternal salvation, to be considered a saint, comes to us through our Savior Jesus. 
In our reading today from Revelation chapter 7, we saw a glimpse of heaven or heard of a glimpse of heaven which the Apostle John saw. When he wrote the book of Revelation, he was an elderly man, probably exiled on an island reserved for criminals known as Patmos because he had faithfully preached the gospel. And so he received this comforting vision from God. He saw the saints in heaven who have come from all nations. He saw the church upon the resurrection when Jesus comes on the last day. He saw that these saints have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He saw that they have been purified of their sin through Jesus Christ, who shed his innocent blood on their behalf. They saw, he saw Jesus on the throne, the one who was crucified and risen to take away their sin and to justify them. Simply put, saints are holy ones who are forgiven by our Lord Jesus. This forgiveness is granted to all who put their trust in Jesus as their Savior. It is not something that we can earn. It is not something that we can buy. It is not something that we can bribe out of God. But instead, this forgiveness was earned for us before we were even born as the Lord laid on Jesus all of our sin and iniquity. And Jesus paid for it all on the cross and rose from the grave for our forgiveness. This is a gift of God's grace to all and on all who believe. God has never offered salvation apart from faith in Jesus. That was even true in the Old Testament times. Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness and that little book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament says, the just by his faith shall live. Now, God does not just let us off the hook when we believe in him. We often think that's what forgiveness is about. As parents, that's what we often do for our children or for teachers or other leaders in society. We sometimes just let them off the hook. We don't re always require a punishment for every type of sin. But God cannot be that way, because God is just, and he is holy. And therefore, he does something far better than just letting people off the hook. The first thing that he did is recognizing that we cannot be let off the hook, and that we cannot do what is necessary to have our sins taken away. He sent his only begotten son to bear our sin and pay the penalty that we could not pay that Jesus shed his innocent blood in our place. So the Lord laid on Jesus our sin. Our sin was imputed to him. He was reckoned or counted as being the sinners that we are. So that now the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us so that we are reckoned or credited with this very righteousness of Jesus. His perfection is placed upon us. Also, God instituted ways for us to receive today the forgiveness of sins, which Jesus earned back then on the cross. Of course, this forgiveness is received always and only by grace through faith. But how does this faith form in us? 
It does not come merely by wishing for it. After all, we wouldn't wish for it if we did not know about this grace that we could have in our Lord Jesus Christ. But instead it comes about, this faith is worked by God the Holy Spirit as we hear the word of God, as we are baptized into Christ as Octavia was today, as we hear the absolution in which you heard the pronouncement of your sins being forgiven after you had confessed your sin. And as we go to the Lord's altar to receive the body and blood of Jesus in Holy Communion, through these means of grace, the Holy Spirit imparts to us the very holiness of Christ. So if you want to be holy, a saint, you are truly holy in Christ because he declares it to you and it is given to you as a completely free gift. That is how you can be a saint, not from what you've done, but through what God has done in your hearing of the word. Yes, you will find yourself continuing to sin even as God in Christ counts you as a saint. Yes, you will continue to be tempted to sin. And so you keep on returning to where God places his holiness upon you. Especially, you keep coming back to the Lord's house on the Lord's day to receive this forgiveness of sins and this righteousness of Christ. Even in our Christian freedom, and for several reasons, the church has chosen Sunday as the main day to attend the divine service and receive these blessings of Christ. In our Old Testament days, in those, in those times, the Sabbath day, was a Saturday. Began at sundown on Friday and ended sundown on Saturday. That day, that Sabbath day, was a day in which all work was forbidden. People were commanded in those days to rest from their labors so that they can focus on the saving word of God. Contrary to what many may believe today, their observance of the Sabbath offered them no salvation. It wasn't their doing of the commandments and laws of God that brought about their salvation. But instead, God sanctified them, made them holy, and worked faith in them, which brought about their salvation as they heard this blessed word on the Sabbath. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, this set a new pattern for the early church in which they had set aside Sunday as the primary day for worship. After all, every Sunday is like a little Easter since our church is always focused on the blessings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is risen from the grave. And just as God created the world in six days and rested on the Sabbath, making Saturday the day of rest in the Old Testament, so also in the New Testament, Jesus rose from the grave on Easter Sunday, setting Sunday as the excellent pattern for worship in the New Testament era in the divine service. Not only that, but the number eight is the number for eternity in the Bible. And it's also the number for the new creation. So God rested on the seventh day, and we can look at the eighth day, Easter Sunday, 
as the day of the new creation, when Jesus rose triumphantly. So he ushers this in at his resurrection. We reflect this week after week as the church begins worship on the eighth day with a clean slate. Yes, we come to church bearing a week's worth of guilt and burdens and sins, but we go home justified, having been absolved, having been forgiven in Christ. And by gathering on the first day of the week, we are giving of our first fruits, the first hours of our week to the Lord. And he blesses these first hours with far more than we give him in our offering of time and praise because he is showering us with his gifts. He is meeting us with his presence. He is bestowing upon us his blessing. In the Old Testament times, boys were circumcised when they were eight days old to mark them as members of God's family. It was that day of the new creation for them. It was a day in which they are ushered into eternity for it is the entrance for them into God's covenant. The blessings they received, provided that they continued to live by faith in the coming Messiah, were eternal blessings. And now in the New Testament, we no longer command circumcision. Instead, Christ has instituted something better, and that is holy baptism. The Bible says, In Christ you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so now, in the New Testament era, the circumcision is replaced with baptism, and in it we are joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and God cancels out all, all our debt and forgives all our sin. So from this, we can conclude that even little Octavia is now a saint. She has inherited the sin of her parents and has even committed sin. But now she is added to God's family, and the debt of her sin is now canceled out. Through baptism, God has given Octavia a new identity, as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has placed his name upon her. She now belongs to Christ. She has died with Christ. She has risen with Jesus. Like the believers in the Old Testament, she is entering eternity. She is now a new creation, pure and holy in Christ, for her sin is perfectly and completely forgiven, as we sang in our opening hymn. Christians, seeing that connection between the Old Testament command to circumcise on the eighth day and the New Testament command to baptize all nations, have often chosen to make baptismal fonts eight-sided, as ours is. The baptized are, after all, a new creation. 
entering eternity, all signified by that number eight. In fact, Octavia's own name is Latin for eighth. On this All Saints Day, she is, as her namesake implies, a new creation entering eternity and made holy through the blood of Jesus, a saint, a holy one. She will still sin, as we all do, but God has made it easy, frankly, for us to be, remain saints. We don't continue on as saints by just going through the motions of getting baptized and confirmed. We, we don't remain saints by ignoring the blessings of Christ and staying home week after week. For the faith given to us in our baptism will wither and die when we become disconnected from the word. It's like eating food. There's no way we can live by saying, well, when I was a baby, I ate a meal. And when I was in eighth grade, I went to some classes and ate another meal. And that's all the food I've ever needed to live throughout my life. Of course, we'd all be dead. Let's never allow our faith to die by neglecting the word. Let's instead feed on his word as much as we can through family devotions and frequent church attendance. I did say that remaining a saint is easy. That's how God does it. He feeds you. He nourishes you. He blesses you as you hear this word, as you feed on this word of Christ, as Christ meets you in his word and sacrament. And so trusting in Christ solely due to the word informing us of who he is, that he is our savior and that we would want to trust in him, he then counts us, he reckons us, he credits us with the very righteousness of Christ. He counts us and considers us saints as holy ones who are acceptable to heaven. Who is a saint? They are holy ones, credited with the very holiness of Christ, cleansed by his blood and forgiven of all sin. This means that Christians are saints, those who have gone before us in heaven and those who are on earth. God grant you this status by grace through faith as he sustains you through his word. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.